0: So, I am a lectionary preacher. I like the lectionary. The lectionary is a calendar, and there are all kinds of lectionaries. There are more than one. There's a Reform Common lectionary, there's the Narrative Lectionary. I like the Reform Common lectionary, it sorts all of Scripture out into a calendar. And it gives you guidance. Uh, This is what you ought to be preaching from. It keeps you honest during the seasons like Advent and Christmas and during Lent and Easter. And in the in-between times, what we call ordinary time, it forces you to deal with passages that, well, like when I saw this one, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) That's my first Sunday at Trinity? Come on. But but it keeps you honest. It forces you to preach from the passages of Scripture that are uncomfortable, that make you think about what is it that God is calling us to be and do. And so the question for the day, there's not always a question of the day, but the day there is, are you a letter of the law person or are you an intent of the law person? You don't have to answer. It's probably better if you don't. But... I do want you to think about that while we're looking at these. I know that, you know, starting off with the last of the Sermon of the Mount is not the best way to introduce yourself to somebody. But, you know, I like the lectionary, and I like the intent of the law. Because it forces us to struggle with not only Moses' benediction to the Hebrew people as they cross the Jordan into the Promised Land, It makes sure that we hear all about all of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's not just the blessed are parts, right? Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? It also makes us deal with Jesus reinterpreting the law. (coughs) Excuse me. And Jesus' reinterpretation of the law in the Sermon on the Mount might actually invite us to think about God doing something in a new way. It might cause us to think about the way that God transforms who we are. Not only by the law, but most certainly by God's grace. Which inspires that question again. Is it the letter of the law or is it the intent? So my Old Testament professors at Union Theological Seminary in Virginia... They spent all summer, most all summers, going to Israel, going to the Holy Land, and digging in the sand. They would go to these archaeological digs and they would try to find something from ancient past. Sib Towner and Ding McBride, they were brilliant. And they would come back to Union in the fall and they would regale us with all of these stories about how they had found this tiny little clay tablet buried in the sand that was going to completely change our understanding of how we knew that the Hebrew people had traveled through the desert during the exodus. Or how they found another clay tablet at a different time that that retranslated a clay tablet they had found a decade before. Man, they would get so excited about this stuff. Those little clay cuneiforms, they were tiny little things. They had tiny little scribblings on them. But they would read them and they would figure them out. Sib says that this section of Deuteronomy is one of those places in Scripture where digging around in the desert has changed our understanding of what God's up to. Sib says, "...our text is expressed in the unmistakable style of the Deuteronomist. It is oratory, the familiar if-then syntax of conditional sentences." Much like the book of Deuteronomy, especially the framework that, that expresses what God is up to, has been structured in this two-way dialogue of faithfulness and blessing versus disobedience and cursing. Retributional theology seems to reign supreme throughout the book of Deuteronomy. God rewards the faithful and punishes the unfaithful But then something happened. Moses, for years and years, we have always understood that when Moses is about to send all of the Hebrew people across the River Jordan into the Promised Land, Moses has been told by God, you can't go with them. And so he gathers all the Hebrew people up and he has this final exhortation to the people. Now, one of those little clay tablets that they found a long time ago, well, it's a treaty, and they actually found two of them. And it was between Ramses II, one of the most powerful pharaohs that Egypt ever knew, and the Hittite king, Hattusilus. Now, y'all all all know who Hattusilus is, right? Do do any of y'all even know whatever happened to the Hittites? Y'all lose sleep over that at night, right? No? Yeah, it well, wasn't me neither. Well, okay, so they found this treaty between Ramses and Hattusilus that spelled out the way things were going to be after Egypt defeated the Hittites. Now, that treaty is a sovereign treaty, a suzerain treaty. And it's a very specific form of writing. And it's just like the writing that the Deuteronomist uses to explain what Moses is saying to the people before they cross into the River Jordan. Now, the pattern of that treaty is pretty simple. It states that we beat you on the battlefield. That means that you belong to us now. And the treaty of the stipulations are listed. This is what's going to happen because of that. And then there's a code that is witnessed by all of the gods and sanctioned with rewards and punishments. You do this, you get this. You don't this is going to happen to you. And then there's a provision at the end that it should be made public, that they should read this treaty to everybody so everybody knows how things are going to be. Now Sib says that for years and years and years that we read this Moses' final discourse as one of those treaties that God was explaining to the Hebrew people and to all of us that God is God and we're not, and this is the way that it's going to be. But then something crazy happened. Somebody digging around in the desert found another one of those little clay tablets, and it was written just like one of those treaties, but it wasn't a treaty at all. It was a last will and testament. It was someone explaining how they were going to dispose of all of their stuff to the people that they loved. Once they found that little cuneiform tablet, it changed the way that we interpret this last discourse of Moses. What changed was not the words on the page, but the intent of those words. Moses' final exhortation to the people was not a treaty that God imposed upon the people. It was Moses' gift to the people, an offering to them to remind them that God had chosen them. To remind them that God loved them. To remind them that God had transformed them and brought them out of slavery in Egypt and was about to give them this promised land. Moses' words are presented like that treaty of his time, but the intent was an act of grace for all of the people of God. They had the ability to choose God, and God would bless them. At the end of it, Moses says that by choosing God, you choose life. So then we turn our attention to Jesus. When Jesus moves past all of the blessed "R" sections in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, boy howdy, he takes on all of it. All of the laws that everyone struggled with. All of the laws that people tried to skirt and get around. And he did it in the most fun way. Jesus said, now you've heard it said, You've heard somebody say this before, I'm sure. Now, I know you were taught this way, but Jesus said, You have heard it said, but I say. And Jesus goes to reinterpret the laws on anger and adultery, divorce, taking oaths. In each instance, Jesus states the letter of the law, And then goes on to tell all of us that the intent of the law is how we ought to be living our own lives. He actually says that we should have righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And what he means by that is the scribes and the Pharisees, they live by the letter of the law. They get the law right. But when you think about the intent of the law, it causes you to do more. And Jesus says that that's what righteousness looks like, is going that extra step. Now, the intent of all of those laws that Jesus is talking about wasn't about just keeping the law. It was about protecting the least of those in the community. Jesus says, well, you know murder is bad, but it's the anger that leads you to murder, and that's just as bad. You have to practice Reconciliation and forgiveness because it keeps the community intact Now adultery is bad But the lust that leads you to adultery is every bit as bad Divorce is bad but leaving a spouse and that spouse's children with no means to provide for them or to protect them That's way worse than divorce itself Taking an oath may be necessary, but you should be trusted to do what is right. You shouldn't have to swear allegiance. People ought to know that you are going to do the right thing. Now, in each one of these laws, Jesus lifts up the underlying intent, which is about caring for and committing to the people within your community especially the least of those within the community, those who are least able to take care of themselves. Moses' intent in his last will and testament was to provide a way for the people of God to choose the blessings that God has promised, which required that they live according to the law, celebrate the community, and welcome not only the widow and the orphan and the alien among them, but to care for them as if they were one of God's own. Jesus' intent was to make us think about the ways that the law protect the least of those among us and to care for the community that was most important to the letter of the law, taking care of the people around you. The question for us then boils down to whether we're going to follow the letter of the law or whether we're going to follow its intent. Now, I've always known that keeping the letter of the law was strictly about staying out of trouble. You keep the letter of the law, you're not going to get in trouble. But if you're really going to do the right thing, if you're really going to do right by the people around you, then you know that keeping the intent of the law is about opening yourself up to a new interpretation. It's about being open to the fact that God might reshape us, transform our way of understanding. Both Moses and Jesus know that living by the intent is caring for community, caring for the people that live in that community. And that is always what God has asked of us. It's practicing that care that transforms our heart. It defines us as a disciple of Jesus, and it helps others see the image of God in us. But most importantly, it helps us see the image of God in the other. Today's reading offers us an invitation to open ourselves up to God's transforming grace by moving from the letter of the law to the intent, its intended purpose, that we are in the business of caring for the others Because God has always cared for us. Thanks be to God. Amen.